Painted Arrow podcast, committed to taking you beyond the pursuit. Well, hello, everybody. Uh, This is a solo podcast today. I'm operating alone. I have nobody here with me. No guest, just yours truly. And what's what's today? Today is December, Friday the 11th, and uh, I still have not, I have not taken a white-tailed deer yet. It's been almost two and a half months now, and I still have not shot a white-tailed deer. And I'm, I'm running out of days to be honest with you. I got today, tomorrow, and Sunday, and that that's it. This in terms of you know shooting antlers. I could have I could have probably taken a, a couple dozen does by now, but that's not what I'm after. Um, I've had a really you know pretty awesome season, really. Uh, my my first bear, first elk, and shot a really good turkey, and now I'm just trying to fill a whitetail tag, and I'm having trouble doing it. So this buck, I I have a target buck that um, I just really like him. I've been kind of keeping my eye on him all week, or I'm sorry, all year, and. Just last week, he showed his face for the first time on December 2nd during daylight hours on the property that I have permission to hunt. And I think that I could, I probably could get a lot better um, opportunity to take this deer if I would have the privilege to, you know, plant some type of food plot on the property that I'm hunting. I don't own the land myself. And um, that's going to be my. that's going to be my main goal for next year going into the whitetail season is actually getting permission to plant food plots on some of these properties that I have permission to hunt on. And they're not very big parcels, you know, some are five, some are 10, some are 30 acres uh, of the private land that I have, but that's kind of where I'm at with that. So say a prayer that we, uh, we can, we can get it done, but that's not what today's podcast is about. Uh, today's podcast it's going to be the top 10 most commonly overlooked steps that hunters fail to make after a hunt, if that makes sense. So you go on a hunt, whether it be a, you know, some of these things are more applied to, I would say, the Western style hunting. Some of these are more applied to the Midwest, you know, whitetail, uh, Eastern style hunting, and some are both. Some are, you know, very applicable to both. But um, this is these are things that I think about all the time. Um, I'm very detail oriented when it comes to hunting and hunting gear and planning and, um, you know, scouting, things like that. But I don't know if you could apply, you know, I don't, I don't know if I could say that I was a detail oriented person outside of those things. Um, but this is just a list. I, I have lists in my phone. I don't know about you guys, but like I have like my notes, like I was just kind of going through my notes in my, uh, my app on my iPhone and, these are just a bunch of things that I I had throughout, and I compiled this list, you know, notes that I left for myself, like, hey, do this, hey, do that, make sure you do this, Nate, to myself. So I, I compiled this list into a top 10 most commonly overlooked steps that I feel hunters forget to make after a hunt. So um, these are in no real specific order, I guess. Um, it happened to be 10. If it was 11, I would have made it, you know, the, the top, 11 most commonly overlooked steps, but it just happened to be 10. It's a good round number. And, uh, yeah, these are in no particular order at all. Um, although I could probably put them in order, but I'm not gonna, 
I'll, I'll make sure to mention the ones that I think are super important. Um, so let's start it off here. Number one, clean your knives and sharpen your knives. You know, we've come to a place uh, in the hunting industry where you see these replaceable blades. I have one, the the scalpel, Havilon knife. Um, you know, you buy it, it comes with a sheath, it comes with what, 11 or 12 replaceable blades. And those things are, I mean, fantastic for getting in the nitty gritty. If you're taking, you know, you're caping a trophy and you're wanting to get around the, you know, the, the base of the antlers around the pedicle, like those are really, really good knives to have. Um, but I still carry around, I don't know why, but it seems like it's becoming less and less popular, but a knife that you actually have to sharpen, <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, I forget to do that just like just as like everybody else out there has probably forgotten once or twice in their life where you go out, you have a successful hunt, you know, you, you gut your animal, you clean it out, you skin it out, and um, you forget, you just put it back in somewhere. And there's a couple things that can happen if you just put your knife back in, depending on what kind of steel it's made out of and how moist it is. But if you just put it back in your sheath and forget about it until the next time you have to gut an animal, it can get real rusty. And that, that creates problems just from purely the looks of it and um and i've noticed too that uh i don't know it just doesn't sharpen sometimes if the blade actually gets you know it's just a lot of it's a lot of uh you're trying to catch up ground that you lost if you get rust on the blade in certain places and it just takes a time commitment to get it back to that um, really really sharp feel and edge that you're looking for um, and, and obviously if you get blood and hair and things like that on your knife, you want to clean that off so it doesn't get moldy or if it doesn't start smelling, you know what I mean? So that's, that's kind of, you know, it's a very obvious thing, but I mean, even every year, I think once a year, I probably forget to do that, whether it be, you know, I'm getting a squirrel or a, a rabbit or whatever. And it just, it's just one of those things. So that's number one, clean your knives and sharpen them after your hunt. Number two, uh, this is something I, I think is super, super, super overlooked. Um, number two is air out your tent. Now, if you think about it, you know, you're out, you're out hunting, you're out camping, you're out doing whatever, and you got a tent in the, in the situation. And if you think about it, you're, you're packing up to leave usually in the morning real early to get, you know, to pack out so you can get out to the truck by a, a decent hour or you're packing out at night. Very rarely, I mean, depending on what you're doing and what your situation is or whatever, you're trying to, you know, pack out the meat in a certain time. Sometimes you pack out during the day, but usually it's in the morning and it's usually in the evening. And what happens during those times? Well, usually in the morning you have dew all over your tent or a frost or something like that right? In the evening, same deal. It's starting to get cold up in the mountains of Colorado. The last, um, you know, this October we had, when we packed our tent down, everything's moist. And it's one of those things where it's like, you get home, you just drove 20 hours or five hours, you're back home. You're you, the last thing you want to do after a long trip, hunt, whatever, is you get home and you want to take your tent out and you want to open your tent up that that is so crucial just from the aspect of mildew mildew smells it'll it'll affect the way you sleep if you're if you're like you know sensitive like me when you're sleeping in the air if it's got that smell and your, your nasal passage it, it, you won't sleep well so you need to air out your tent 
all you got to do, you can wait. I've waited up to a week sometimes. I wouldn't recommend it, but you know, you get home from your trip, you throw your tent out in your living room. So you, you make sure not to forget about it. Open that tent up on a next sunny day you have. You can even do it in your house. I've done that multiple times in your living room and just set your tent up, let it air out. And then you can pack it back down and make sure you really fold it the way you want to. So you know exactly where everything's at. You can count your stakes. You can clean out your stakes if they got mud on them. Um, if some bent, you can re-straighten your, your stakes. You know, you can just look through your tent. Um, that's a really, really commonly overlooked step um, that I think lots of people forget to do. But it's super easy to get, you get your tent out. You just pop it up real quick. It takes about, you know, what, five minutes to do it one way, five minutes to do it the other way. And you don't have to smell that mildew. It's a, it's a commonly overlooked step after a hunt. Number three here, clean boots and apply waterproofing. And I kind of added on there, clean your gaiters. Uh, in the last, I don't know, I've been using gaiters for probably three or four years. Before that, I mean, I never used gaiters, but that's a huge plug for gaiters because they're so versatile. I mean, think about it. You have your waterproof boots and you put a gaiter on up to your kneecap. When you're walking through brush or swamp or whatever, I mean, it's going to clean, it's, it's going to save your, your pant legs from getting all muddy first off, but it just keeps them warm too. Like, I don't know if you, it, it keeps your legs super warm. You never really think about your calves getting cold, but they, they do. Um, but that's not what this is about. Number three is about cleaning your boots, cleaning your gaiters and then applying waterproofing. So, um, I do this all the time. I'll grab a five gallon pail. I was just thinking like if you don't have dirty boots, but if, if you come back from a hunt and you don't have dirty boots, then I don't even know if you were hunting. <laughs> so basically you come back, you got your dirty muddy boots, right? You throw them on the, you know, in the garage, get a five gallon pail and a brush. That's really all you need. I mean, you don't need any soap. You don't need any scent on your boots. Just grab a five gallon pail of water, put some water in there, toss your boot down in it, scrub with a brush, scrub all the dirt off, get all the grit off. And you just let your boots dry. After they're dry, you spray them down with some waterproofing so you know they're ready to go for the next time. I always do it. I, I This is one of those steps that I never forget myself because it's not fun to have like, you know, your insoles kind of wet, kind of damp, and you got your your feet in there and then your feet become kind of cold. Like, man, I hate having cold feet. Got to have real good boots, real good socks, and having them waterproofed, ready to go for next time. You don't even got to think about it. You can just grab it. You can be confident, and it's awesome. And then and then the same thing with gaiters. Like, um, I have a pair of First Light gaiters. I love them. Those are water. Um, you can put those in the, the washer, but I I usually don't just because... I don't know why, honestly. I usually just don't. I usually just dump them in a five-gallon pail and just kind of squeeze them, you know, and, and clean them up and let's let them dry. Nothing special. Sometimes I'll throw a fan out. Sometimes people have those boot dryers where you just toss them right on. That I recommend that to a friend. <laughs> those are awesome. Um, but, yeah, number three, clean your boots, clean your gaiters, and apply waterproofing if you have it. And if you don't, you should get some. It's five bucks at any sporting goods store. That's number three. Number three, uh, sorry, number four is clean your cooler. Now, I learned this one from, from uh, you know, trial and error. I threw, so this, this year, I really upgraded my cooler game. 
I got one of those big old 160 quart grizzly coolers and it is it is fantastic it fits a whole bear in um well, I, actually I take that back I could fit the whole bear in minus the bear lard so I had to put that in a separate cooler but it was no big deal because I had a, you know I had an extra cooler anyway so but basically all the meat fit in that cooler from a bear um and then also an elk bone in I filled I filled it the entire cooler bone in elk in 160 quart grizzly cooler great cooler when I got home um this was not the bear or the elk but a time before that you know I'd had a deer or something in there and I I got home and uh can't remember what I was doing I processed the animal and I just ended up you know there's like the little drain caps that you you screw in and you screw out on each side of this cooler because it's a big cooler so I forgot to screw I, I I left the the plugs in like I had had all some like blood in there and the next time I went and opened that cooler there was black mold on the inside just from like a couple days I mean it wasn't long but they have those nice seals around the top of the cooler and I just, I don't know, I didn't even like latch the cooler down, but I just like the lid fell and, you know, I was processing and I was, you know, getting carried on with life and I go back and there was black mold all in there and it wasn't real bad. I mean, it came off with a little bit of a brush and a, you know, some, some Dawn dish soap, but one of those steps that is just commonly, commonly overlooked, get some baking soda, baking, you know, something to get in there and clean it out you can use bleach but I, I would read your manufacturer for each cooler you know what i mean but just a little bit of dawn dish soap and a garden hose and a brush a little bit of grit you know what i mean that'll that'll clean it out it'll it'll keep it um you know the, the longevity of the cooler will be a lot better in the long run you won't get discoloration and all those things so clean your cooler if there's blood in it or any type of meat that is in it you want to feel comfortable on the next hunt that you can come in and throw your meat in and have it not be dirty or unsanitized. And then plus your your girlfriend and your mom and all the people you want to share your meat with, they're not going to question you. You know what I mean? you got to keep a tight regimen and keep things clean. Absolutely. Onyx is the number one GPS hunting app on the market. If you don't have Onyx, I would highly consider trying a free trial where you can get access to all 50 states and all of the mapping features and tools. Onyx allows you to send waypoints to your buddies, see public and private boundary lines, and see where you stand in live time. And also has a new weather feature that allows you to track weather and wind so you can stay on top of your game. Literally. It's a no-brainer. If you go on your computer, not your mobile device, to onyxmaps.com and use the promo code PAINTEDARROW, you will receive 20% off your elite or premium subscription. Know where you stand with Onyx. There's nothing I like doing more than hunting elk in the western states. One of the main challenges of hunting big game species in western states is actually getting a tag. Furthermore, it's actually understanding each state's drawing systems, which can seem like a chore to figure out for beginners. Go Hunt is a company that has figured out how to simplify this obstacle for basic folk like you and me. Go Hunt offers a subscription service called The Insider, which gives you access to the most accurate draw odds, species breakdowns, and strategy articles out there. Before I started using Go Hunt, I would spend hours filing through kill harvest reports and data sheets looking for a good unit to hunt in. And using The Insider has streamlined this process, making it easier and more efficient than ever before. This has allowed me to find a place to go hunt, hence the name. Visit GoHunt.com to find out more and to start a free trial with the Insider subscription service.
Shupex Sporting Goods in Jackson, Michigan has been in the business of selling outdoor equipment for over 30 years. They have over 1,000 new and used guns and over 500 new bows for you to choose from. This family-owned and operated company goes above and beyond to make sure that you are taken care of when it comes to buying gear. Use the promo code PAINTEDARROW5 at the checkout and receive 5% off your entire purchase. Yes, that does include guns and bows, folks. Go down to Shoepex today. Number five, wipe down your rifle. I mean, maybe it's just me, <laughs> but all it takes is you're out hunting in the in the snow, in the rain. I mean, it barely sprinkles. It just drizzles on your gun. And you come back home and you throw that gun in its, its pouch or whatever, and you come back the next time and there's rust on it. It does not take much at all. You can get your bolt all, you know, grimy and rusty and gritty and you don't you don't want that i have uh i've tried a lot of different things and some people probably have spray they just throw on a towel or whatever i have like these remington oil wipes they call them rem wipes it's like a clorox bleach type looking container but it's a gun wipe right it's these wipes that have the oil uh, necessary for cleaning your bore if you want to run it down through the bore it's a super easy little little packet you can just get and keep with you. I keep one in my truck. I keep one in my um, my back room. If I ever need to just wipe down my gun quick, it's super easy. I open it up, pull one out, and I can wipe down my gun. And that's all it takes. That's all it takes just to prevent rust from building up, corrosion. And once you got rust on there, I'm not the best person to talk to, but I, I know that there's ways you can obviously restore that with really fine sandpaper. You can, you can get... Um, you can uh, re-blue the barrel, um, but if it's stainless steel, you're talking to the wrong guy. You need to you need to consult with somebody, or I guess go on YouTube to to fix that problem. But it's a super easy fix. I was hunting this this uh, I was hunting in Colorado with my rifle, my 6.5 Creedmoor, and uh, I remember just I forgot the wipes at home. So we you know we were up in the mountains for a week. It's snowing and all that. We we shoot the elk we get all home and I forgot, get back to the truck. I mean, and we, we, I didn't have those wipes with me, so I couldn't wipe down my rifle after the hunt. I threw it in the case. Obviously we come back home within a day or two. We stopped at, you know, a night before and I get home and there was rust on my, on my gun, on my Bergara. And man, that made me upset. So I had to, I had to do a little bit of a, you know, I had to get it, get that rust off. And I always keep, I went out and bought a new, package of those rem wipes and i keep them with me wherever i go so that is that is number five wipe down your rifle make sure you're using the right stuff and keep your gun clean number six shoot your bow now this one like obviously if you don't bow hunt it doesn't apply to you but this applies anywhere you go right like if you're going western style hunting you know backpack in you know, you're hiking from the truck, or if you're just a Midwest type of hunter and you're just going out for, you know, nights and evenings where, you know, you're using your bow. I couldn't tell you how many times, like you're pulling your your bow up your ladder or whatever, and you just barely ding it. And you're like, it almost like, it creates this question in your head, like, oh man, is it, is it out of whack? Or, you know, is it going to shoot straight? You know, always, 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 it's just a good practice. A couple things, um, there's two things you can do. Like you can always toss an arrow inside your quiver 
that does not have a broadhead that you can shoot when you climb up your tree as a practice shot. I mean, I don't know what where you're exactly hunting, but if, if you're out hunting, you got three broadheads and you got one practice tip on, you can take that arrow up and just pick a pick a leaf, shoot it as soon as you get up in your tree, shoot the bow, and you know it's like a confidence builder immediately. But lots of times, um, I didn't do that for a long time, and um, I've been starting to do that the last couple of years. But like when you get back from a hunt, just leave your, I don't know what your setup is exactly, obviously, but just keep a target out that you can just shoot real quick, even at 20 yards, one shot. You know exactly where it's going to hit. It's confidence builder, and it keeps your, you know, your mechanics in, 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 uh, in sync. It makes you feel confident, and that, that's what it's all about, really, is keeping your confidence up, feeling comfortable with your gear, so that when you get that opportunity, the opportunity that always comes when you're not expecting it, you can feel confident in your shot and uh and be comfortable so shoot your bow every chance you can get shoot your bow especially at night right when you get out of the tree stand you come back you didn't see anything shoot your bow right then shoot it once or twice put it away number seven review new waypoints this is one of those that i said in the beginning like this would be like closer to the top for me, like out of the, these 10 things that I'm listing, this is a very important thing. And this applies to all types of hunters, all types of terrains, all types of species, everything. Um, lots of people keep, um, keep, uh, you know, like an app, like Onyx, huge plug to Onyx. They have the best by far, you know, mobile GPS system, um, right in your hand. I mean, it's completely, it's completely phenomenal. Um, I use, I, I'll drop waypoints all over. If you scroll out, I live in the state of Michigan. So if you scroll out in the state of Michigan, I just happen to spend the most time in that state. I'm telling you, there's just waypoints everywhere from properties that I look at purchasing from, you know, neighbors, um, from my buddies saying, Hey, I, I shot a deer here on their property, even though I don't even hunt their property. Like I have, I have waypoints everywhere. So when I'm going out scouting, when I'm going out hunting, if I see anything, if I see a rub, if I see a scrape, man, I'll throw it in there so quick. I'll, I'll just drop a waypoint, and I will I will put a quick note. And it, this is a really important thing to do, especially on out-of-state hunts. So when you're going out to scout in an out-of-state place, when you're going out hunting in a new place, uh, every year in the last three years I've gone hunting for elk in, in the same type of area didn't necessarily camp in the same places, but I'm hunting in the same unit. You know, I'm trying to, I'm trying to build my resume in that area. So I feel more comfortable with it rather than jumping around to units. That's just the time that I have to spend out there rather than going to a new unit every single year. So I get out there and, and I put waypoints everywhere. And over the last couple of years, I've really, I've really kind of got to know the area just by looking at some of these notes. So when you get back from a hunt, post hunt, it's a great idea it's a fantastic idea actually to just look at your your notes look at you know look where you're seeing sign and like make it a point to make it a mental note in your head so that next time you go out there next time you're planning a trip next time you want to go you know fishing or whatever that you have you have a a base you have somewhere to start and it can really build over time you don't think about it when you're when you're doing it but like year after year after year you, you you forget some of these things and you can go back and you can look at something that's why onyx is so awesome because it's all in one spot you can color code it you can put different uh, icons on your waypoints you can put your notes in there you can add pictures to it so i mean man i cannot highly recommend that enough so 
if if you are listening and you don't know what Onyx is, you should go definitely download it to your uh, your your desktop or your your cell phone and just play with it. There's a free trial that comes along with it, and if you use the po- promo code Painted Arrow, you'll get twenty percent off. Hot tip for you. So that's number seven is review waypoints. Number eight. Number eight is is kind of it's kind of similar to number seven, but it's not the same. So I wrote for number eight, jot down some notes about the hunt so you won't forget. Now, this is why that's different from, this is why that is different from, you know, reviewing waypoints. When you write something down, it's proven. It is absolutely proven that you're going to remember it better. Now, this is kind of getting to the place where it might be a good idea to keep a hunt journal. I'm just as guilty. I'll be the guy to sit here and tell you to keep a hunt journal, but I don't do a good job of doing it either. But it is proven that if you write something down, you know, or if you if you actually read something versus listening to a podcast, for example, you will remember it better if you read it, and you will remember it better than that if you write it, right? That's why they always say, you know, you read these help self-help books where if you write down the things you want to do in a day, you'll do it because you, you're writing it down. There's a lot of truth to that. So after a hunt, write everything you remember about the hunt. Write everything you saw. Um, my buddy Chad, we did the podcast um, a couple podcasts ago with with the Out West Hunt with the Elk, right? He took notes every single day over the fire with a journal. He kept a journal, and he got home, and he wrote this big, massive write-up about the hunt. And there's a couple reasons why that's really cool. First off, it's awesome to read, you know, seeing somebody else's experience, especially me being there with him. I got to, you know, you know, review that with him. Um, third party reading his, his, his notes, right? It was awesome. The other thing that's really cool is that we'll be able to look at that, you know, down the road, documenting it, um, jot down just some things. It can really be awesome. So I guess this is overall kind of a plug, you know, number eight's a plug for getting a journal. Um, Write it down, remember it, and I think you're really going to enjoy it down the road. You can show your kids kind of, you know, some stuff like that. So that's number eight is jot down some notes about the hunt so you won't forget. Number nine, this one is near and dear to my heart. So number nine is process your kill yourself. And I said, yes, you. So if you're listening, you're like, man, I, have, I ain't going to process no animal. I'm just going to take it in as a hundred bucks to get the deer processed or whatever, you know, um, I don't know if many of you know this, but I used to be in the turkey processing business. That was my first job out of college. I worked as a turkey processor and, um, good Lord, you get real good at boning, boning out turkey legs. And, you know, you, you really understand a lot more about the animal that you're harvesting when you process it yourself. There's a lot of benefits to it, obviously such as you're getting more meat. Um, I, I don't know how many people know that or not, but nowadays it, it's sad but true that when you take an animal, for example, deer, deer's an easy example, but you take it to a processor, and if you don't ask, you might not know, but you might take your deer in, and they might weigh your animal right in front of you and say, yep, it's 100 and whatever how many pounds, and you know they estimate your yield is going to be X amount of pounds, but you get in there, and you might actually get back the same amount of weight and yield 
but you might get somebody else's deer. You might you might get somebody else's venison. So not every place does that, but I know that's a common practice, and uh, it, it's something that's it doesn't jive with me. Right? It doesn't feel good. I want to know that I'm getting the meat that I I harvested, and I want to make sure that I'm getting all of it. Um, again, I'm, I can't speak for every single you know processing operation. I'm sure there's lots of good ones out there. I know some people, some family members actually that have a processing company. I'm not I'm not knocking the processors at all, but um you do typically, if you think about it, when you're processing large vast scale, I mean these people are getting paid to do as many deer as they can. You're just naturally going to get a little bit more meat off the bone if you do it yourself. And lots of people are probably intimidated to do it, but I'm here to tell you that I have been processing, you know, a, a common I would say that a common pushback to, hey, I don't want to process my own deer is like, oh, hey, I don't have space. Well, I'll tell you what. I've been processing every single animal. I don't think I've taken a single deer in since I've shot a deer. I've processed every single animal that I've ever harvested on a pair of sawhorses that my grandfather made probably in the mid-'70s, okay? He's got an old pair of... I mean, old sawhorses that he made out of some plywood and some some door hinges that he found in his garage. I have these sitting up against my parents' you know back barn. I'll take these out and throw a piece of plywood over top of the sawhorses, and I'll clean the plywood and I'll process. I I have a piece of plywood that I process. I don't know how many deer, I don't know how many squirrel, rabbit, everything elk, bear, the same piece of plywood. It's stained red. I'll get out there and I'll clean it off each time. I'll I'll clean it and put it away. I've been using the same piece of plywood forever. So there's no excuse. I I don't think there's any excuse for why you couldn't do it yourself. The first couple times you process an animal by yourself, it's going to be difficult. You're going to struggle. You're not going to know where to cut. But at the end of the day, you got an animal quartered. You got the four quarters. You're going to take a knife and you're going to bone it out. You're literally going to take a knife and you're going to take the meat off of the bone and put it into a bowl. From there, you can figure out what you're going to do with it. But it's not a difficult process to learn, I guess is what I'm getting at. I think it's a big, um, you know, the title of this top 10 most commonly overlooked steps. I think that's a commonly overlooked step because you're going to become more familiar with your gutting process in the field. You're going to become more familiar with the anatomy of the animal. You're going to become more familiar um, with the food that you're eating, oh my gosh, you're gonna you're gonna sit there and eat that food and just have a relationship with it, and nobody else is gonna understand. You're just like, man, this is good. And and when people you know scrap food away and throw it away in the in the garbage afterwards after dinner, and they left some of that meat on the, on the plate, you're gonna be like, nope, nope, give me that. We're gonna we're gonna put that in the, you know what I mean? Like you're not gonna waste anything, and it's just good practice. It's good practice to do it. I don't know. I think I started doing this when I was. The first deer I ever processed was 12 years old, 12 or 13, and my grandpa and my dad helped me and my brother, and we struggled through it. Nobody knew exactly what they were doing, and I took a path in life where animal processing was on the list, and uh, I became very familiar very very quickly, and I, I, I thoroughly enjoy it now. I really do. I thoroughly enjoy processing my own kill, and uh, I think it's overlooked. I think that you should do it, and I think it'd be really rewarding. That's number nine. Number 10. Okay, this is kind of obvious. I did put this at the end just because it seems fitting to me. Um, But it's number 10. I wrote down share meat and stories 
with friends. And, um, I mean, that's kind of what it's all about, right? Uh, hunters, you know, anglers, sportsmen, whatever you want to identify as at the end of the day, when you go out and you, you take an animal, a lot of responsibility to do that, you know, sharing that meat, sharing those stories, that's what it's all about. Hunting historically was a very, you know, you didn't do it alone. It was like a, a tradition that you did with people. And, and those stories kind of like last forever, right? They they resonate with people. And um, that that's what it's all about. I mean, at the end of the day, that's what it's all about. Um, specifically for me, I love, I love telling a good hunting story. And I love hearing a good hunting story, right? Funny things that happen in the woods. Um, you know, unbelievable things that you see that you just wish you could share with everybody else. You know, you see an owl pick up a fish out of the middle of the river or the things like that, like that, that you just can't get those experiences anywhere else. It's really important to share those stories, you know. Um, we have hunter numbers that are dwindling in the country, all over the place. I just read an article today, hunters in the in the state of Michigan from 1998 to 2018, we lost 125,000 hunters. Um, not, you know, and I don't know what the reason or the solution to that is, but I know that by not sharing those stories and by not telling people about your experiences, it's, it, it, it's not helping, right? Um, obviously we want to get people out there hunting with you and all those things, but share, share the meat with people, share the stories with friends and just, and, and relive those moments. That's what it's all about for me. It's a big part of it. Um, and, and just creating that atmosphere around you that, that people get and understand what you're doing out there in the woods not just, you know, camping and, sitting out in the middle of the brush for days on end, right? Share those stories, share the meat, and uh, you're, you're going to be better off for it, for sure. So that's it. That's the top 10 most commonly overlooked steps uh, after a hunt. Some of them a little more serious, some of them a little more gear-oriented, some a little more, you know, applicable to certain styles of hunting. But at the end of the day, I think these are all really applicable to everybody if you're out in the woods spending time and, uh, think it's going to help you in the long run so uh i really appreciate you guys listening along um if you want to get a hold of me if you want to tell me anything about this year episode if you have an episode idea um anything if you just want to say hey you can do that you can go to my website it's painted outdoors.com again painted outdoors.com you go to the contact tab on the top and you just fill out the little form and i get an email notification it's a beautiful thing technology it is Alrighty, folks, really appreciate you listening along. Have a great day. This is probably my shortest, this is my shortest episode in a while, 32 minutes and change. Unreal. Enjoy it, guys. Get out in the woods, and uh, hopefully uh, I can I can close the deal here in the last couple of days of this hunting season. Alrighty, take it easy. See ya.